Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, a podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. Well, let's uh, change subjects and talk about Portland Clean Energy. Now, when you were a state budget writer, you would pay very close attention to uh, how much agencies spent and how much they brought in. I'm sure that hasn't changed, though you don't get the level of detail and the behind-the-scenes info you used to get. You're still paying attention, so tell us about Portland Clean Energy Fund and why they have half a million dollars, than they more than they thought they'd have. Uh, half a billion. I don't mean to be pissy in correcting you, but it's half a billion. Let's let's jump up and talk a little bit about ballot measures, um, and then I'll come back down and we can talk about this one in uh, specific. Ballot measures are increasingly in the spotlight in Oregon right now because we're dealing with ballot measures that were very poorly written. Uh, ballot measure 113 uh, asks the question of the Oregon Supreme Court, is this language ambiguous or unambiguous? And there were oral arguments last uh, Thursday was uh, that was brought by some legislators about whether or not the, um, the language of the bill would bar legislators from serving another term in office if they uh, had 10 unexcused absences during the legislative session. And so in this instance, the plaintiffs, five Republican senators who had 10 absences, and we can argue whether or not those absences were fair or legitimate. I mean, when people apparently were given leave to be absent on a Sunday so that they could go to church. They were told they were excused, and then magically they were unexcused uh, the following Monday. I mean, there are details that I don't have personal knowledge of, but it asked the larger question, if you had 10 absences in the the completed last long session, was ballot measure 113 that was um, uh, passed as a constitutional amendment, was it clear about when the legislator could serve again? Um, It clearly states that the disqualification comes only after the next election following their term in office, Uh, not the election that takes place in 2024. Um, be that as it may, I mean, the the legal arguments of this uh, uh, particular ballot measure, and it was argued, I think, very well by a Department of Justice attorney and uh, for the plaintiffs, a very prominent Portland attorney by the name of John DiLorenzo. Um, And I I watched little snippets of it. The Supreme Court allowed um, cameras into the chambers, which was very interesting. It's about an hour long argument, oral argument before the Supreme Court. I just didn't have time last week to watch it, but I intend to. But the question that that you asked was um, the specifics of these ballot measures that are put on the ballot with very ambiguous wording and many, many unintended consequences. As you and I have discussed, I'm working on ballot measure 110 right now. This was the ballot measure that functionally legalized hard drugs in Oregon. And 
um, it, it was sold as kind of a bill of goods to uninformed um, Oregon voters who fell for the line of, uh, do you want treatment versus punishment? And they said treatment, and that opened the floodgates to legalize fentanyl, heroin, oxy, uh, the list goes on and on. And now there's outdoor use, and that's driving problems that already existed uh, to, to accelerated consequences. Crime, vandalism, litter, graffiti, uh, downtown becoming increasingly unsafe. So I've strayed a little bit away from the question that you actually ask, and I'm proselytizing on the fact that ballot measures that go to the voters uh, and have, in many cases, biased and who has the most money explanations are resulting in Oregon ending up with a lot of stuff on our books, some of them constitutional amendments that are extremely problematic as they are implemented. Um, and we're spending a ton of money and a ton of political capital adjudicating these poorly written ballot measures. And now we can focus in on your specific question, but I wanted to use this time to, to actually rail against the ballot measures that are um, very ambiguously written and have resulted in these kind of um, um, murky interpretations that have given rise to lawsuits. The Portland Clean Energy was um, a, again, a voter passed initiative that was designed to, um, to help with climate change and, um, and stuff like that. And now has this enormous amount of money floating around that various and sundry political people, particularly those looking for higher office, are desirous of spending um, in ways that I'm not sure are going to curb uh, uh, the the ravages of climate change in our communities, or really do anything uh, that is discernible in terms of outcomes. And so I think that it is. I mean, I'm watching already as city councilors because they will have a disproportionate amount of influence on how this money is spent. City councilors maneuvering around to spend this money on their pet projects. And it has turned out in the fiscal calculations to have yielded much more money than anybody anticipated. And so um, this goes back to... A, a problem that is a larger Oregon problem, and that is how do we show benefit for taxpayer money um, expended? And so uh, the clean energy uh, surcharge is a surcharge on large retailers and not a sales tax imposed on customers or consumers. And so um, the it has it has resulted in this uh, as it's been described a gusher of money and i think that that a lot of folks anticipated that there would be this kind of windfall of money and uh, how it is going to get spent carmen rubio who is a portland city councilor wants to spend 240 million 
$240 million in clean energy tax revenues, and she wants to put them in city bureaus. And um, this was supposed to be this one-of-a-kind climate fund, and I'm trying to figure out exactly um, uh, how this money is going to get spent. And I would question the authors of the uh, Portland Clean Energy Fund initiative. I would challenge them, would they have written it the way that they wrote it if they'd known how much revenue it was going to raise? It, it was a highly political ballot measure with slogans like Portland Clean Energy Fund means wealthy corporations pay their fair share. I don't know whether spending half a billion dollars in Portland to to serve underserved communities administered by an unelected, um, not accountable board uh, is going it, to, it's already run into fraud problems. I don't know what the real metrics are going to be. And at the end of the day, charging corporations more gets passed on to consumers at some point in time. And I, I just don't know how it's spent, who accounts for it. Uh, I've heard that a, that a chunk of the money is going to go to more affordable housing. Well, what's that mean? Is it pods? Is it multifamily dwellings? Is it insulating old houses? It means a lot of money for some of the friends of city council, but um, I, I just I don't know how the money is going to get spent, and it seems to be getting really precious little uh, attention um, in the local press to talk about who raises the money, who pays the money, who gets the money. Who are the beneficiaries? And um, uh, in the name of fixing the climate, does anybody have the political courage to say, uh, do, do we do we really want to do this? Uh, will there be political consequences? Um, it goes back to the fundamental premise that both Columbia, I mean, both Multnomah County and the city of Portland have way more money than um, they anticipated having, and pretty murky accountability. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.